You're listening to the Inglewood College Podcast. Inglewood College is a ministry of Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. We believe that just because this season is temporary doesn't mean it can't be deeply transformative. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. We're starting a new series on, it's really called From a Christian Point of View. Okay, so from a Christian point of view, we're going to take a look at a few different things uh, from a Christian point of view, because uh, there is a distinctly Christian way of thinking about things. Much of the Western world borrows thoughts, little pieces of biblical truth from the Bible. Like they, they borrow thoughts from Christianity in order to come up with some of the things that they value. Okay, but oftentimes it's divorced from the biblical context. And they say, well, we love this idea, but it's, it's not really, it's, it's out of context. For us as Christians, we have to have our whole framework of our thinking on every single topic wrapped around and thoroughly infiltrated with the Scriptures. Like, we need to have our minds set on these things. As followers of Jesus, we want to be renewed in our minds to be more and more like Jesus. Have our minds constantly about everything shaped by the Word. Okay, that's why Romans 12, 2, which is in the screen on the picture right there, I put Romans 12 up there because in my mind, Romans 12, 2 is, is really where this idea comes from, or where it centers up for me. It says, don't be, transform, or don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay, so we're going to try to renew our mind with this series around a few topics, and really think, uh, think biblically, think as a Christian, because we've all been indoctrinated by the world we live in, whether we realize that or not. We've all been indoctrinated by the world, there's a good chance that we still believe some things like, and maybe even wholeheartedly believe some things that do not line up with the Scriptures. Maybe, maybe that we have an idea about a, a certain topic or a certain issue, and we're really solid in our thinking on that, we think. But it doesn't line up with the biblical perspective. Yet we call ourselves believers, and we haven't had our minds renewed about those things. And so we're not going to be able to hit everything in this series. But the series itself is going to be try to get us on track for thinking and having our minds continually renewed about different topics. So we're going to we say, how should we think as Christians about these different topics based on the truth of God's Word? Because here's what we're going to hit. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about uh, work and calling. Okay, so what is it that we were made to do? How do I know what it is that I was made to do? We're going to talk about our bodies, about why does this physical presence that I have matter? What am I supposed to do with it? How am I supposed to steward that well from a biblical perspective? We're going to talk about dating. Does the Bible say anything at all about dating? How should I go about it as a Christian? We're going to talk about community. I think we all know that we need community of some kind. We, we might not might be an introvert, like I don't need that big of a community, but I need some community. We all know that. So how do we find it? What does Christian community look like? So a Christian perspective on that. And then conflict. I'll admit, you're probably, some of you are with me, I am conflict averse. Okay, I like to avoid it at all costs, uh, unless it absolutely must be done. But it's inevitable that we're going to have conflict. Tonight, we're going to talk about self about identity. I love that we just saying, I know who I am. Like, you've already spoken, and what you've spoken is, is, is what's going to tell me who I am. And that's exactly what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look, what has God said about us, particularly as believers, and, and, and learn what the Scriptures tell us that we should think about self. We really want to start by saying the world has a lot to say on this topic, on the idea of self or identity. I remember my first exposure to the idea of self-esteem. Do you guys remember having, like, guidance times in, in elementary school where you would go to the guidance counselor or she would come to your room or something or he would come to your room and, and they would talk about different things. Do you guys remember that? Did that happen in y'all's day? Man, back in the day, I had Miss Josephine. 
Miss Josephine Kiteley. She was like super nasally voice. She was the first person I ever heard self-esteem from. And, and I was like, I don't know what this is, but I know I'm supposed to have it. And so uh, I think it, that itself is an idea that's confusing. Like self-esteem, how do, I, how do I know I have it? How do I get it? You know, and this idea of like self-worth, like don't we all want to know that we're worth something? Right, we want to have some sense of self-worth, but like where does that come from? How do I make sure I have it? How do I make sure that I feel worthy? How do I get this? And we got these ideas about like self-love, like how do I have a, a healthy level of self-love? Is that even right, good? Is that biblical? We have these ideas of self-realization or, or the, our culture has ideas of self-realization, self-actualization, becoming who you're supposed to be, okay, and finding your identity, somehow looking within yourself and finding who you're supposed to be based on how you feel and all this stuff. And, and we like to think as a culture, I'm not saying necessarily as Christians, but as a culture, we like to think no one can tell me who I am. I need to find who I am. I, I have to be self-determined. I have to come up with my own identity. So nobody can tell me all these things. And the world says, look inside for that. Look at how you feel. What is your inner person trying to tell you? Who is your inner person? What are their preferences? What are they about? Find your inner happiness. But what's the process for that? Really, is it just you try a bunch of things? You just try out everything and then eventually see what sticks? Like, I, I want to try out all these different possible versions of myself and different things that I like to do, and then whatever feels most right, that's what I'm going to stick with? I had a lot of phases, okay? Anybody have some phases in high school that you're pretty ashamed of? You're like, Ugh, that phase was not a good one, okay? I, I had some phases, okay, that I look back on. I, I went through a lot of things, okay? I was always the good kid. Anybody else the good kid? If you're not the good kid, don't raise your hand. Like, there's a lot of everybody. But I, I was always the good kid. You know, didn't want to do anything wrong. Didn't want anybody catching me doing anything wrong. But I also had these other phases that went along with it. Like, I was country at one point in time. Okay, I grew up an hour from here. How many of you are from West Tennessee? Okay, a few of you. How many of you are from, like, rural West Tennessee? How many of you are from small towns, other places? Okay, small town me. In eighth grade, thought high school, man, I got to be country. Like, that's everybody at high school wears camo boots or camo, camo jackets and boots and stuff. So in eighth grade, I, I developed a country accent. And, man, I, I wore the boots. I, I wore Ducks Unlimited T-shirts. And, man, it, that was me. That was, that was going to be me. And then I, I gave that up when I got to high school and realized that was not how people dressed. Um, and, and, but I was also, I played sports at different times. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm the athlete. I want to I be that. That's the kind of identity I want to have. I was always the smart kid who made the perfect grades, you know, and that was like about, I was about that. And I'm going to be the one who knows all the stuff and make the best grades. I had a very short punk rocker season. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I, there was some weird times, okay? Uh, junior year, actually, I started picking up guitar, and, and then I think somewhere between junior and senior year, I thought, man, I could, I could do this. I could do music for good, and and I thought I could be a punk rocker. I like, wanted to grow my hair out long. I, I thought about getting an eyebrow ring. If you got an eyebrow ring, I got nothing against those. It just wouldn't look right on me, okay? And I didn't know that at the time, though. I went through that. Shortly after that, I became preppy. Okay, I said, I'm going to go to Union, okay? And I'm going <laughs> to, uh, alas. And I was like the Christian club president. And, and like that, that preppy, I wore college shirts all the time. And then I got to Union, and I had no, no idea who, I, who my personality really was supposed to be or whatever. I didn't really know who I was. I didn't know who I was in Christ. I'd always been this perfectionist and the guy that was the best at being the go-to Christian guy who, who was supposed to have it all together. 
And then suddenly there were a lot of people that were better than me. A lot of people who were smarter than me, more perfect than me, who had it all together more than I did. And I kind of let myself go a little bit. And I was just like, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to be the guy that doesn't care. And it wasn't necessarily that I didn't care about the Lord, I didn't care about following him. It was just I became this laid back guy who, who just doesn't seem to care about too much. And through all those things, none of those were all encompassing for me. None of those really captured who I was ultimately at the core. They were just exterior things. And they didn't really define who I was, right? They didn't, they didn't tell me who I was. It wasn't my, my real identity. It wasn't wrapped up in those things. And I think my pursuit of all that stuff and all of everything that I pursued kind of in that season of life was stemming from a desire to meet other people's expectations of me and then also to meet expectations I had for myself. And I failed miserably at both. You know, in a lot of ways, people would have looked at me and said, okay, he's meeting my expectations. He's doing what he needs to do. But I knew I wasn't meeting their expectations. I knew I wasn't meeting my own expectations. And I think a lot of people come to that same place in their endless search for identity. They come to the place where it's just like, I cannot figure it out. Not only do I feel like I've let other people down somehow, I also feel like I've let myself down. And you just get to this place, it's all confusing. And so I talk about all this to get to this point, that I believe that there's only one true source of identity. There's only one source from which our individual selves find meaning and worth and self-actualization, if you want to use that term. We only become who we were made to be when we find ourselves in Christ. That is at the core. Can I try to explain why that's the case? That we're only who, are, who we're really made to be if we are in Christ. Here's the illustration. I heard about this uh, example in a book, okay? And I'm probably going to butcher it because I don't remember it super well. The book is sitting on my desk. I could have looked back at it today. But here's, here's the example that he gave in this book, okay? This is an iPad, right? I use it for lots of things. I use it for notes, for messages, okay? So in this story that he tells in the book, there's a story of a woman who bought an iPad for her elderly dad as a gift, okay? And so she, she gave it to him as a gift, and then she comes back around a little while later, and they're going to have dinner together and stuff. And she, she comes in, and she's like, hey, would you like me to help you set up and figure out how to work your, you know, your gift? And uh, he's like, no, no, it's working fine. And at that point, she realizes that he is using it to cut vegetables as a, like a, a cutting block. And, and then he proceeds to put it in a dishwasher and uh, you prepare to watch it, wash it. And it's like, you can, you can, obviously, there's the gas, right? Why would you ever use an iPad like that? But the point is, you can find all kinds of uses for an iPad, and some of them may work just fine. But what was it made for? What was it made for? Not what can it be used for, what can it be, but what was it made for? And what we were made for, as human beings, was a right relationship with God. We were made by him to live and work and relate to others in the context of a healthy relationship with him, living according to his design and his wisdom. After all, it's his image that's been built into us. And trying anything else may result in some usefulness, but how much might we be missing by not living out our true identity, what we were made for, that application of ourselves in right relation to the one who gave us our existence? The problem is that all of us have been the dish, in the dishwasher a few too many times, and we're broken. That's the problem. We've all been through that dishwasher a few, many time, few too many times. We're broken. We're incapable of living in right relationship with God. You and I, outside of Christ, 
incapable of living in right relationship with God because of sin, our sin, and our sin nature. And we cannot fix what's broken there ourselves. Something else must happen because we've all rebelled against his design and our sin and our sin nature leave us serving as a cutting board when we were made for so much more. And only one solution exists to remedy that broken relationship, and that is Jesus. Jesus Christ, fully God, who came and took on humanity, he lived out the purpose that we all have failed to in perfect relationship with the Father. And then he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, taking our place on the cross, taking punishment that God would have rightly given to us at the end of our lives for having taken what he gave us and, live, and used it to live for some lesser version of self. He took that for us, and then he rose to life again to offer us hope of reconciliation with God through him, and hope of finding our true identity, finding everything ourselves were meant to be in him. That's probably the longest uh, intro I've ever done to a message at Sojourn, but we're going to actually get into the word of God now. We've been talking about biblical ideas, but we're going to get in and look at Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 17. So if you guys could open up a Bible or a phone app or you're just going to look at it on the screen, let's go ahead and stand up. We're going to stand for the reading of God's word. And I'm going to read it in its entirety, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, and it'll be on the screen. I'm reading from the ESV. So here's what it says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. I still hear flipping pages. I will give you guys a second. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Are right, you guys going to have a seat? <clears throat> right out of the gate, he says, if then you've been raised with Christ. To our knowledge, Paul is writing to people he's never met. Okay, this is a church. This is the one example that I know of of a church where Paul wrote without having visited them yet. He might have met some of the people who were part of the church there, uh, but he had only heard of their faith as a church, and so hence the if here. And I feel the same. As Paul. The thing is, I know a lot of you. There's also a lot of you I don't know very well. 
part of the purpose of trying to have you over to our house so we can get to know you, know your name, and, and all that. And if I haven't met you ever, I'd love to meet you after we're done, okay? But I don't know all of you. I don't know where you stand with the Lord. Okay, only you might know where you stand. Do you know where you stand with the Lord? Have you been raised with Christ? Because what we're gonna say tonight about your identity is only true if you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then that's not true of you. If you haven't, if you haven't recognized where you would stand without Jesus and what he's done for you, and then answered his invitation to be redeemed and be reconciled to the Father, and then been united with him through salvation, until then, you have not been raised with Christ. And if that is your, is that is your case, you don't really know, or, or maybe you know you don't have Jesus, and you want to talk about that more, I would love to talk to you as soon as we're done. I'm sure there's other people in this room that would love to talk to you. You were just to bring it up and have a conversation about it. But if you have been raised with Christ, you know that you belong to him, you're united with him, then know this, the question of your identity, the core of who you are, has been answered already. You do not have to worry about discovering your purpose or your worth or yourself. So here's the first point from the text tonight. A Christian's identity is already settled. A Christian's identity is already settled. And I'm not saying that this means that there aren't things that you'll discover about yourself as you grow and as you experience more things. You're going to discover more things about yourself. We're all works in progress. We're all learning things. We're all growing and growing in our understanding of, <clears throat> of God. God is still teaching us as we go who he is and who we are in relation to him. And he's going to help us discover more and more of that and help us to grow in that. The difference between that kind of learning and growing and what the rest of the world is doing is that we have a, a launching pad. We have a firm foundation on which everything else that we discover and learn about ourselves is built. The core of who we are is that we are in Christ. Everything else that he reveals about us helps us to discover and all our skills that we develop, all these things are built on a foundation of Christ. And our core identity is unchanging and unshakable because it's Christ himself and he is unchanging and unshakable. My relationship with Jesus is the source of everything I'm really looking for in life. He is the source of my joy. He's the source of my peace. He's the source of my purpose. He's the source of my comfort, my worth, my hope, my love. He's the source of all these things and more. And I'm not out here trying to grasp at other things. I'm not trying to go after other things in the world and other ideas about myself, or I'm not trying to look inside and find more, more of these things because I have what I need in Christ. Actually, the well from which they all spring is living in me, in Christ. The well from which all those things that we're really looking for is living in us, in Christ. Literally, his Holy Spirit lives within us who have been raised with Christ. His Holy Spirit living in us, producing these things in us, and he's helping us to see it and to come into who we are in Christ. And so look at what this text says about who we are. Just some of the things. Verse 1, we're raised with Christ. Christ has been raised. He has defeated death on our behalf. He's defeated the power of death on our behalf. And spiritually, he's actually brought us to life in a way that we were not alive before. We've been raised with Christ. Verse three, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life for you and in rebellion against God's reign and God's rule has ended. Think about how different this one phrase is from the wisdom of the world. This phrase of, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. What does the world say? Do what makes you happy. 
Find yourself. How do you feel? You know, what would make you feel better or more like yourself? And go and do that. And then not only that, but hey, if somebody disagrees with you, you know, you just tell them that is your truth. Your, your personal opinion about who you are and how you feel and who you ought to be is your truth. Don't tell them, like, if they tell you that it's wrong, then they're oppressing you. And that's what the world wants to say. And in Christ, we look in our perspective as different, and we say, your life, you have died. You, living for you, has, have died. And your life now is hidden with Christ and God. And not only that, let's go another step further. It says, Christ is your life. And, and here, we got to pause for a second, because sometimes this rubs us wrong a little bit. Like, but, but there's so many other things I want to live for, right? So many other things I want to do, so many things I want for myself, like, whole idea of Christ being my life, like he is my life? What about all these other things that I'm about? It's not that you can't be about other things, but Christ is the core thing about which you are about. And anything else that doesn't line up with him, you say, okay, I must put away. I can only live in certain things and pursue certain things if I can do that in a way that honors Christ, that is in line with how Christ has made me and designed for me to live. This contrast of the way the world thinks and the way that we would think as believers. I mean, how many of you have come to realize that living for yourself is an endless cycle? It's nonstop. You, you try to do things for yourself, try to make yourself happy. It's like a rabbit trail. You just keep going and you keep finding yourself going in circles and you, you never really get there because you're never really fully satisfied by your circumstances or with yourself for very long and you become enslaved to it. It's like a, it's like, um, a tyrant over you. That self becomes a tyrant i got to find myself, and that becomes something you're enslaved to. But when you are hidden with Christ and God, you know who you are. You know where your core identity is found. And so the idea of, of our life being hidden with Christ and God, we are literally united with Jesus where he is in heaven. I read about this the other day, and I was like, mind blown. I'm like, I've, I know I've read this in Scripture, but I read it, about it in a book, and they were focusing in on this whole idea. Look at Ephesians 2. Four through seven. Fairly popular verses, or at least it comes before a couple of popular verses. But it says, you know, previous to this, he's talking about how you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's that whole raised with Christ, right? By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This idea of us being raised up with him, seated with him, that's not like future tense. I right now am secure in Christ in heaven. All authority is his. He rules over all things, and I am in him. Right now, you and I, if we are in Christ, are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. You literally could not be more secure. You couldn't in reality. In our experience, sure, things may seem in chaos. It may seem like, sometimes it may seem like God doesn't even have a plan. As crazy as things are, or as, as off as you feel. Listen, in reality, you are held fast. Your life is not spinning out of control if it is hidden with Christ. It is secure. Not only that, but Christ is your life. Galatians 2.20 says something similar to kind of some of the stuff we've been talking about. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ in me, working through me. And again, this reality often seems different than our felt experience. Because we know, hey, I've got, I've got free will. The Lord has given me this gift of free will. I can make decisions that I am then responsible for. And yeah, God has given us those things, and there are times that we disobey, times that we do what we know is wrong, times that we disregard God. You know, and, and you may feel like you have failed in ways that seem impossible to square with the fact that Christ would be in you. You may be like, how is it that Christ could possibly be in me and me to have also done the things that I've done? Just because it doesn't seem like that it could be the case. Just because your experience makes it feel like that might be the case does not mean it's not reality, as God has defined it and given it to us and told us about it. He is at work in us, even when it seems like he's not. And the difference between our experience of things, our experience of of even struggling and failing, the difference between that and reality as defined by Scripture is the distance that we still have to go in our sanctification. The difference between what our experience is right now or it feels like at times that he's not even there, or like we're not, he's not strengthening us, and, and, the, and the reality of what is true of us in Christ is the, is the distance we have to go in sanctification. We have a lot of room to grow, a lot of room to become more and more like Christ, and he is at work to bring my actual life more in line with his character and more in line with his will. He's actively at work in you and me through that spirit that we talked about a second ago. He's actively at work so that who he is becomes more and more noticeably evident in me through my personality, through my talents, through my abilities, through the things that I do, the way I spend my time, through my relationships. He becomes more and more noticeable in me as I grow in him. And now it's not going to be completed until he brings me to himself. I'll finally be fully sanctified and fully holy as he is when I see him as he is, when he brings me to himself. And I look forward to that day. But even though that Work is still ongoing in us. It doesn't mean that it's not as good as done in God's view. He knows what he's doing in us. He's not going to let it stop, even when it doesn't feel like he's doing anything. Another thing that it says about us, if you look at verse 7 and kind of mix it in with some verse 9 and 10, you see a definitive change has happened in you, or a definitive change has happened to you if you are in Christ. And no matter where you are in that sanctification process, something has happened in you to change the course of your life and the course of your eternity if you've been raised with Christ. If you are in a relationship with him and you know him and he has saved you and his Holy Spirit is in you, then you have put off the old self and put on the new. It's already done. You are already new in Christ. One of my favorite things, one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It may not feel like it, but there really has been a shift that has taken place. Your identity has changed the moment you came into a relationship with Christ. And not only that, you are becoming like Jesus. He's talking about this in verse 10. He says, which is being renewed in knowledge. This new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of, of its creator, which is Christ. The new self is being renewed constantly after the image of its creator, And even if that progress seems slow, or if it feels like you've taken steps backward, God's plans for you are never in question. He will finish the good work he has started in you. His purpose for you has not changed, and your destiny has not changed as his son or his daughter. 
Speaking of that, you look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Not a single person comes to Jesus by accident. God is never in heaven looking down and be like, oh, no, no, not that one. We don't want that one. Like, don't pray that prayer, please. No, it never happens. All of it is chosen. He has chosen us. You are in Christ because he has chosen you. He has brought you to himself. He has set you apart. You are his beloved. That's who you are. And that's what we just sang about. I know who I am. You have loved me. Like, I, I know who I am because you have loved me. You've set me apart. The same way that the father loves the son is the way that he loves us. Pretty sure we talked about that last semester something. In John chapter 17, it says that the world may know you. Talk about Jesus praying to the father. The world may know that you love them as you love me. If you are God's chosen one, holy and beloved, you are in Christ, you are set apart, and he loves you so much. I've got, I've got a seven-year-old daughter. I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, too. But seven-year-old daughter is getting to this place now where she's, like, considering what other people are thinking of her, you know, which is crazy at seven, right? She wants to pick her own clothes, what she's going to wear and all that stuff. I want her to know where she stands with me. I want her to know that my love for her is unconditional. And my hope is that knowing her dad loves her unconditionally would be enough for her and a strong foundation enough that she won't need validation from dumb boys in a few years, lots of years, hopefully. That she won't need validation from friends or from a culture or from likes on social media. She wouldn't need any of that because she knows where she stands with her father. Even more than that, obviously, I want her to know the love of our Heavenly Father for her. And I think the way, the way that I feel and want her to believe and know that I love her, I, I can only imagine God as a good father looking down at us like, I want you to know how much I love you. Because if you know how much I love you, then you aren't going to need the cultural approval for your identity in Christ. You're not going to need that e- internal emotional approval of yourself like, I found my identity. I feel good about myself, this self-esteem. You won't need that because you'll know where your esteem comes from. You'll know where your worth comes from. God esteems me highly in Christ. He has given me worth. He said, you are worth me coming and dying on a cross for you. That's what you're worth to me. He has given me all these things. Not only that, man, you read in verse 15 and 16 about the body, how we were brought into a body, Jesus' body. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are one together. Our identity is together. We're not alone in this. We have other people to do this. God didn't intend for us to do it alone. So we're in Christ as a member of his body, as a son and daughter, a son or daughter in the family. And then you look back, we scale back and go to verse 11. This one would easily get overlooked. If you were reading 1 through 17, you'd be like, that's, that's the verse that I'm not going to get anything out of. You know, verse 11. Here there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. Here's the thing. This verse tells us some things that don't determine our identity. Okay, what doesn't determine, determine your identity? Where you were born or who you were born to. What doesn't determine your identity? Not your religious accomplishments or lack thereof. Not your ability to impress others or your socioeconomic status or class. None of those things give you your identity. What matters, he says in verse 11, is Christ. Are you in Christ? That is where your identity comes from. So your identity is settled But the second point is this, becoming who you are is an ongoing process. This is that sanctification we've been talking about. It's an ongoing process, becoming who we are. God is at work in us through his spirit, 
to help us to become who he's created us to be. It's true. And we might be tempted to leave it to the experts. Like, God, you got this, right? I'm just going to sit by, kind of over here in my own corner. I'm going to let you do what you do. I'm not going to worry about it too much. You do that. You work on me and all this stuff. Here's the thing. Sanctification is not passive. It's not this like, hey, God, I don't want to get in the way. No, he has called us to play an active role in this. Like, I want you to obey. I want you to live for me. I want you to live out these things and play this active role in being renewed in his image. So see some of the things in this text that Paul is instructing us to do. A few of them. Set your mind. Set your mind. Okay, so set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Because you can and must choose what you will think about and focus on. You have to. Because naturally, we live in a really busy world. Some of you are already feeling it. We're like a few days into the semester, and you're like, it's going to be a rough one, okay? Man, we live in a busy world, and there's going to be all kinds of things that come into your mind and distract you. And supernaturally, supernaturally, getting outside of this room a little bit, you know, like Satan is going to work at keeping you from thinking about what is true and about what is good and what is right and what is holy. Anything at all to distract you from those things, he will do. So we have to take an active role in choosing what we're going to dwell on, set our minds on things that are above. Not only that, but he says in verse 5, put to death, therefore. It says, you died, now put to death. You have died, now put to death. This is like already not yet. You are already dead, in a sense, dead to living for yourself. Now you must put those selfish, self-centered ways of living to death. And you can see the list there of some of the things that he says you need to put to death. The reality is that we're already with Jesus and we have final victory over sin, but we have to be actively involved in combating that self-centeredness and sin in our everyday life. In verse 8, he says, put these things away. He's going to list off anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Essentially, if you find anything at all in your attitude or your speech that doesn't line up with honoring the Lord, you should probably put that away. Not probably. You definitely should put that away. So, You go on, verse 10, he says, be renewed, having been made new. This sense of like, you're being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. I think it's an invitation to say, be renewed, submit yourself to this. Actually give yourself to the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in you. Be willing to be worked on. Nothing is held, held back from the Lord. Open hands. Do whatever you want in me, Lord. Be willing worked on, willingly worked on. And then, Verse 12, he's talking about putting on these different things. He's going to go through a list of some of these character traits. He says, like, essentially practice these things with some intentionality and purpose because it's not going to come naturally at first, but you're becoming more and more like Christ. And the more and more you become like Christ, some of these things actually will come more naturally to you. So work at it. And all this comes down, he's talking about being part of the body. You look, off, look at some of the things he lists off about showing compassion, being patient, bearing with people, forgiving, loving, teaching, admonishing, singing together, working together. This is meant to be done in relationship with other people. And not just any other people, believers. You are meant to have real relationships with other believers with whom you do these things. How many of you in this season of life have either forgotten or just neglected that your faith is destined to be lived out in Christian community? What fellow believers have you recently shown compassion to or been patient with or forgave or gone out of your way to serve in love or taught or called out or encouraged or worked with on anything for the good of others in the kingdom of God as a whole? 
When's the last time you did that? What might be missing from your sense of well-being as an individual? Those feelings of feeling good about yourself. What might be missing from that is actually real biblical church community in your life. You might be missing on that, missing out on that, but you don't have to. He also says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I wish we could dig into this a whole ton. There's so many things in this passage we could get into. Big idea here is the world is constantly speaking. Satan is constantly speaking. You're constantly having your mind bombarded with, with things. Go after this, run after this. This is who you ought to be. This is what you ought about. This, this is what's gonna make you happy if you're not constantly letting the word of God dwell in you richly, the messages that are going to sound the most reasonable are the world's. Whatever you are closest to and spend your most time thinking about is what's going to seem most natural. So when you get in God's word, it's going to be like, oh, that's unnatural. That can't be right. That must be meant for some culture back in the day. And that's not really meant for today. When in reality, if you were to get into God's word and spend time talking about God's word and the truths from it, you dwell on it during the day, if you start to try to live in accordance with it and obey things, the more you put yourself in God's word and let it dwell in you richly, the more the things of the world are going to sound ridiculous. Live for that? No. It doesn't sound right. You're going to realize, like, that's lacking. It's not going to satisfy. And so he says, give yourself to the word. Devote yourself to it. And then a final thing, be thankful. 15, verse 15, verse 16, verse 17, all talk about thankfulness. See the blessing of knowing who you are and whose you are, and let that be a motivation. Thank God regularly for it. And one of the ways that we do that in the text is singing together. That's what we're about to do. We're going to get an opportunity to sing together, thanking God for the truth of knowing who we are in, in Christ. If there's anything from tonight that you want to talk about, band, come on up. If there's anything you want to talk about from tonight or, or know more about or a question that was brought up by something I said, man, I'd love to talk to you about it after we're done. But more than anything, I just want you to know where you stand with Jesus. Because that one thing, and this one message kind of tonight, knowing, who, knowing ourselves and our identity in Christ, it's going to lay the foundation for everything else we're talking about with this series.